The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency and are the views of the host or guest only. Any persons discussed may be fictional for comedic purposes. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. Pain is inevitable. How many of you know whether you're rich or poor, you can't avoid pain? Doesn't matter what nationality you are, you will have pain. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how many cars you've got, you will have pain. No one can escape pain, but we can learn how to manage pain. Because pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. When life gets on top of you and you feel like it's all becoming too much, it's easy to let things spiral out of control. That place where you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Things don't go your way, that promotion at work you don't get, you don't make the team, your business is struggling, the bills are piling up. When this happens, the easy thing to do is just to roll over, to lie there and let life treat you like a little bitch. To hold your hands up and say, this is just the way life is. This is just what happens to me. These moments in life are always gonna be there. Don't think for one second there comes a stage in your life where this doesn't happen. But what you've gotta start to do is to take back control of your life. Stop being a victim. Stop letting life push you around and start fighting back. Because the minute you tell yourself that you control this is the minute you can start to change it. It all starts the moment you take responsibility and say to yourself, I can make out of this life what the I want and no one and nothing is going to shape my destiny but me. You've got to stare all that shit in the face and say, you can't beat me, I'm too strong. It ain't going to be easy. Most of the time you're going to feel like there's no way out, that you can't do it. But listen to me when I say there is always hope. But you have to take control, attack it head on. Because as soon as you do this, just once, just like a muscle lifting weights, you become stronger. You become comfortable being uncomfortable. And before you know it, you become fucking untouchable from all that external bullshit that on a daily basis pops up to kick you in the teeth. You become a machine and nothing, nothing on the outside can affect you because your mind is trying to beat it down. Never run, always fight. The rewards in life don't always go to the biggest or the bravest or the cleverest. The rewards in life go to the dogged, to the determined, to the tenacious. Those who get back on their feet when they're kicked and they get up again and again. The rewards go to those who understand what it means to never give up.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast. And now your host, Nick and Mike. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a special bonus episode of the Roll Call Room. Uh, my very special guest is Christy. Uh, Christy, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Good. Uh, so backstory, um, I get an email from you um, that uh, Karen over at Blue Help, we love Karen, um, told you, hey, check out the Roll Call Room podcast. Um and uh, hook up with us. So you sent me this uh, really, really nice email, and I uh, was uh, super touched by it. And um, I said, "Hey, give me a shout. I'd love to talk to you, other than through the email." And um, you know, you and I have been going back and forth. It's got to be like what, like two weeks now? It is, yeah, yeah. Two weeks for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like uh, trying to get uh, trying to get like between full-time working on the street and then doing this, it's, it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, and then as we're recording this bonus episode, we had just done uh, two episodes with the first warrior apparel guys. So it's been, it's been a, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a day. <laughs> an, an emotional day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, I always say it on our show is like the night that I do these, I usually sleep really, really well. Cause it's like, it's free therapy. So it is. And it's very humbling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mike and I, Mike's not in studio for this. Um, but Mike and I are two of the most humble guys there are. And, you know, uh, we had these guys in here and they were talking about, you know, how like their coworkers are talking about the show and, you know, we get emails from around the United States, actually around the world. We've gotten like Ireland and England and South Africa and, it's very, very humbling that people are listening to Mike and I. Um, so it's very, very nice. So, um, yeah. So tell me how you came upon Blue Help. Um, I came upon Blue Help when my um, my ex husband Ken had um, taken his life, and I'm sorry. How long ago was that? That was on June seventeenth of two thousand nineteen. Okay. So. Fair. Yeah. And there's actually one of the, the police department where I live, um, there's actually a blue help liaison there. So they reached out to, oh, wow. to his police department uh, and then asked if they could reach out to us. And I said, of course, because, you know, with three kids, we need all, all the support that we can get. Right. And those are all, th those are his children. All three are his kids. Yeah. He's the only one okay. I chose to have kids with. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think it's important for our listeners to know that although he's your ex-husband, this is this is a relationship where you continue to like stay in touch, very right. cordial. He never got remarried, um, and you guys kind of just kind of kept it going, just not as a married couple, correct? Right, right. We did the best that we could, and you know, looking back after after this happened, um, it all makes sense why our our marriage didn't work out. There was so many struggles that, I mean, you know, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to admit that you're struggling. And so things, you know, things happen to break down the marriage and it all makes sense now, unfortunately. Can you talk about, uh, I mean, it's totally up to you. Can you talk mm -hmm. about some of those kind of things now that after it's over, you can kind of look back and you can go, 
yeah, that those were absolutely. the flags. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So um, I met him when he was, I think he was just a year or barely a year on the force. And so he was very open, talkative mm-hmm. then. But as the years went on, he started kind of shutting down and I would kind of try and open up, get him to open up, talk to him about, you know, whatever. And I know it's hard for you guys to talk about, but he just, just completely checked out. Yeah. And after each kid, it was worse. It was worse and worse. And then he was like, he wasn't even here. And then he stopped coming, you know, coming home and stopped engaging as much with the kids. And I have no doubt he loved those kids, our kids. I have no doubt whatsoever. I just think, you know, um, he was so broken and he didn't know, he didn't know how to fix it. He didn't know how to express it. And that, that fear of not expressing it, it destroys you on the inside. Yeah. And how long was he on the force? 25 years. He was just shy, just shy of 26 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, did you notice any other, like, um, did he have a perpetuity, a, per, a perpetuance to overspend or any of that kind of stuff? You know, it's funny that you say that. Yes. But mm-hmm. he didn't realize he did. And it would be on things for, he loved riding his bike, bicycle. He mm-hmm. used to race his bicycle. He loved his truck. And it would be on things for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I think in his mind, then it's not overspending, but it was spending on luxury things. Not luxury, I mean, although they were nice bikes. But luxury things like that, that not necessarily he could, he saw spending too much money. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, it's, I don't know, it's overwhelming sometimes to think about. Yeah. And the reason why I ask is, is we talk about it quite, quite often, which is one of the major things in law enforcement, uh, first responders in general is, is that there's, there's always an overspending. There's always a, you know, a, a lust for buying things that either a, you don't need or, um, you can't afford or you charge right. and you're like, oh, I'll deal with this later. Um, and I draw from personal experience because I love it. I mean, I love buying stuff on Amazon and getting it delivered. Yeah. Many cops that don't, you know? Right. It's funny that you say that because when we went to go um, get his dog out of his, his condo, there was a big box in the garage and mm-hmm. it was like, um, like a giant connect for, I can't remember exactly what the name of the, game was but it was like a child's game i'm like 290 dollars for a kid's game what are you what it was never even opened wow yeah i'm like why would you buy that but impulse yeah definitely definitely so um leading up to his his death um is it that you did you guys stay in contact like every day did you communicate every day not every day. It would get kind of hard sometimes. Um, he would get angry a lot over over silly things. And I know I know it's now looking back, I, I realize because he was struggling so much, you know, it was like the little things. So we would be in contact over the kids. And I mm-hmm. probably like every other day, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a little bit longer if there was a, a misunderstanding about, mm-hmm. you know, a bill or whatever. But um no, but I knew, I have to say, when we were married, 
looking back, I always, in my mind, and I never understood why, I always per, um, trained myself to say, okay, when the chief of police comes to the house, it's because he died of suicide, not because he died in the line of duty. And I never understood why. And that kind of went away, you know, when, it, when we got divorced. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, that's just it. That was, that was me feeling just crazy, like, you know, not knowing. Only mm -hmm. to fast forward 10 years after divorce and, and the chief is texting me and letting, you know, asking me if I'm home and can we talk? And my first thought was, he being chief? Oh my God. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, let me get back into that. I, and then I realized, oh, this is what it is. And, you know, you're never ready for that yeah. at all. Did he, did they come over and give you the notification in person? They did. Yeah, they did. Um, I, luckily I work from home. So, because obviously being in the summer, my kids were all home and I had one that was awake and two that were asleep still. Cause it was early in the morning and, and he, um, he took his life at his girlfriend's house. They were, they were having problems. Um, you know, and, and he had spent about five hours that day, father's day with my kids, which is so unusual because it would be take them out to dinner or breakfast, drop them off. And mm -hmm. he spent extra time with them. And I thought, well, wow, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. I, and then he just, you know, he went over there and, and um, she lived a mile away from him. So he had been, unfortunately started drinking a lot. His mom had passed away in 2017 and he started really going downhill. That's when I've, I've done kind of a lot of back research on what did I miss? Where did we where did I miss these signs? But I often asked him, you know, what was wrong or, you know, you can talk. I promise I won't judge. Or I would explain, I would express the kids concerns when they were over there that he would be spending time in his room, not wanting to do anything, you know, and that that's tough when you, you're, the kids are there every other weekend with him and mm -hmm. he didn't get to, you know, he couldn't bring himself to enjoy the kids the way that um, I know he really wanted to do. Um, so, I mean, did you tell the kids like right after the chief told you or how did that? Yeah. Work? Yeah. So what happened is, you know, he texts me. I'm like, okay, well, I'll meet you outside. You go to my garage. You don't go by my front door. And then I, you know, I'm walking out there going, okay, so here's what it's going to be. And then he, they tell me, I'm like, okay, okay. So this is what we're going to do. And then I'm like, okay, well, really, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to really explain this to my kids. And I, it, it hit you then that, oh my God, I don't, I, this is not, this isn't okay. And he's like, well, that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know, but now you guys have to stay here by my garage. I have to go get my kids up, mm -hmm. but you can't come to my front door until I come and get you because I don't want them to realize what's happening before they're all together. Right. And, you know, once I, I came in and I hollered for him to get up and just go sit on the couch. And then I went out there and, and it was funny, not funny, but there was a comment made to me. Um, and that's really what triggered my thought. What's, what's really gone on that, mm -hmm. that he hid from us, that he hid from a lot of people was, mm -hmm. um, they, one of, one of the people that was there, he said, you know, we really tried to help him Christy. And I'm like, Oh, and he, he had been put on administrative leave. he had had a breakdown um, I haven't seen his personnel file, but this is what I've been told talking mm. to people. He, um, he had a breakdown at work or outside of work and, and um, 
they put him on administrative leave, paid administrative leave, and for two months. And he did not see the kids anymore. He didn't see them any less, didn't see them anymore. And we had no idea. The kids and I had no idea that he was, um, you know, not not at work. Mm-hmm. He just acted like he went to work every day. And and it, it's it's scary that he did that, that he could hold that in and sit there yeah. and, you know. And He's probably ashamed of it. That's why. I'm sure. But he never had to be. That's what I really, that's one of my main reasons for the importance of really talking about it. You shouldn't be ashamed and you, you just shouldn't be ashamed of it. There's no reason to be asking for help is pro- is the most courageous thing somebody can do because not only it's going to save your life, but it's going to save your family and the people that love you, you know, we all loved them. Mm-hmm. And, and just because our marriage didn't work out, you know, and, and doesn't mean that I didn't care for him. It just mean, meant that I just couldn't, I mentally couldn't handle, you know, what was going on in our marriage anymore. And for my mental health, I, we just couldn't do it. And, you know, not realizing, not having any idea how much he was struggling. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's scary to think about, but I've been um, really looking into it, you know, really trying to understand. And that's when you kind of look back going, here are the signs. Right. He, he really disconnected from us. You know, there were, he, he completely withdrew. We used to go to our camper all the time. Next thing you know, it's just the kids and I, and Mm -hmm. you know, he couldn't do it or there was going to be overtime and it dawned on me. I never really saw any overtime, extra overtime come in or he did a security job in the summer and I never saw those checks get mailed because they were mailed. And it, I didn't think about it at the time, you know, cause you, you want to, you know, you just, you go about your day and your family, but it was very hard. And I, and I guess it's a blessing now when I look at it, but I used to get so upset because he would um, be really withdrawn from the kids at times. And I would get so angry. I'm like, these are your kids. They want to see you. And, and it kind of, I feel, I feel bad now, you know, getting angry about it, but I understand. I understand why now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I had how did the how did the kids take it when you told them? Um, you know, my kids are amazing. They of course tears and and completely upset as they should be and in shock, complete shock because they were just with him hours before. And um they took but they 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 took it really well. As well as I guess you could be, you know, we, we sat there and, and we were all in shock and, and the chief and, and, um, that the town that we live in that the police, well, the town that he passed away in is, is right by us. But the, the detectives came over, you know, to make the notification and the chaplain came and, and I'm just looking at them. I'm like, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. And he didn't have a will. He didn't have a trust. It all fell on my 20 year old. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, no, this is not, you know, there's no way a child can deal with this. Yeah. And it just, you know, I, I, we made sure that he was honored though. I had sent you, you got that text of the pictures from this, the I funeral did, did, and, and, and I, they did a really good job working with us, the police liaisons who I've known for, you know, 25 years anyway. Um, but they, they stepped up, they, they let everything happen. You know, they, they, 
listened to what we wanted because um, they did want to be involved. And they had the honor guard there and they had the police procession and um, they, you know, the chief stood by my side up there, by the kid's side up there the entire time and he didn't waver. So that's a lot of respect. And, and I think it's important really to point out that, um, that uh, Ken, he, he did some amazing things at work and he was very humble about it. He never, it was, you know, it was his job in his mind. And I came across, he had quite a few chief awards and one was for saving somebody from, um, from taking their own life. And, and I had asked the kids, I'm like, okay, guys, you know, I think it's important, but I want to ask you, should we place this, this, um, award out, you know, to show people because it doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter, you know, your color, your income, anything. Mm -hmm. It just matters that there's just one time, one split second of, I can't do this anymore. Even mm -hmm. though you, you save people in your line of work every day, you know, you just, you couldn't save, he couldn't save himself. Right. And I think, and the fear of getting help, the fear of not getting help. Um, it was all, you know, combined in there. And I, it's, I think about it every day, you know, he sits on my mantle and I talk to him. And I'm like, just help me understand. And, you know, I, I don't know. It just, yeah. I, I sat there. I'll tell you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you that the, the biggest problem in, in our profession is, is that, I mean, it's the stigma of asking for help. It's the retaliation yeah. if you do. And, you know, it's, um, it's not an easy topic to talk about. I've had multiple people in different agencies, um, not big fans of the show because it brings a light to an epidemic that's going on in this uh, profession. And um, right. nobody's, nobody's talking about it on a large scale except for like Blue Help and, um, you know, a couple of other um, um, foundations and stuff like that. But as far as cops talking about it, like public publicly coming out, like what, what Mike and they I don't. do. Yeah, no, we, they, no. they don't. And, 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 you know, I wasn't very well versed in all this stuff before I went through my own issues. And, um, you know, there were no, there's a, there's a police officer that works in the jurisdiction next to mine that came out publicly and was like, you know, suffer from depression. I think about suicide and accolades. I mean, it just, it just, that's what, that's what officers want to hear. They want to hear vulnerability yes. from other officers. Um, you they know, so know it's okay to feel that way. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, you're not alone. I shouldn't say, okay, it's, you're not alone. I, uh, that's exactly what I told them actually. So they retired Ken's badge. Um, they honored oh. him that way, which was phenomenal. And the chief asked me if I wanted to speak. And I'm like, my first response was, are you sure you want me to speak? Because <laughs> I've been very vocal. Are you sure? And he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do you want to know what I'm going to say before I talk? Because yeah. I don't even know what I'm going to say before I talk. But he's like, no. I'm like, okay. So um, it was during roll call in the afternoon, you know, the, the second shift. And I just sat there and I told them, I said, you know, I'm looking at you guys here. And there are at least six of you here that have felt or do feel the way that Ken felt. 
Mm-hmm. And you are, you would have no idea. You had no idea Ken was feeling this way. And you had no doubt that he had your back when you were going out there, but you don't have right. your own back. And it's time. Yep. It's really time for fam. You know, you don't have your own back. Let your family and let it be on both sides of the badge and let your, let your family understand because you, you tend to shut family out and yeah. you'd be amazed at how I think strong, um, your family is to not only hear if you have to get something off your chest when something has happened at work, but to, to um, be there for you. And I think you forget that. I think it comes, it's you. And I I told them, I go, you guys, you're trained to disconnect your feelings from what you're doing. And the problem with that is you forget to reconnect them. And I did, I used to, I did used to tell Ken, I go, could you leave your asshole at the door because we're your family or not the ones on the street? And because he, he's, you know, he stopped doing that and it, it was, it was hard to see. I go, but you guys have to, you have to get help. You have to know it's okay to get help. And I'm a firm believer. And I know that the chief's probably, I know he's not too happy because he's like, well, you can be in contact with me. I'm like, you're going to be sorry you said that because we're going to sit down and we're going to come up with a plan. And And I've been on him for a while. And then I heard, you know, that they were doing something. I'm like, great. So I text him. I'm like, hey, I heard through the grapevine, you're coming up with a mental health training. I said, here's how I think it should look. I think it should be done at minimal quarterly. Yeah. You know, because you think about it every three or so months, it starts really affecting you. Because I noticed that in Ken. And, and Ken's girlfriend and I have become really good friends and really have helped each other through everything. And, um, you know, as we're talking, it's, and we both noticed every three months, it was kind of like that roller coaster. And, you know, that's when you need to talk. And I got, I got like radio silence. It was like nothing for a good two weeks. And I said, you need to involve family in this. I said, and I want to be involved in this. And he did. He opened it up to family. Um, it's, it's both, it's for firefighters and police officers but it's only an hour and a half training one day. So that that's not going to hmm. be enough, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to um, learn and then keep pushing, expanding on what I, what I think needs to be done um, because that that's just not enough. And I've talked to actually a lot of officers. I've talked to a lot of chiefs that I know in the area um, and, and it, their takes on things are so different. The chiefs think, yeah. Well, you know, one day a year, and I looked at this one chief that I, I taught his kids preschool years ago, and, and I told, you know, I was at a, a golf outing, a fundraiser, and I'm talking to him, and he, I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I was thinking about maybe doing one day a year, and I looked at him and go, are you fucking kidding me? You really think one day a year is going to do anything? Well, you know, our officers are pretty close together. We, we know each other really well. Yeah. Like, that's where you're wrong. That's completely where you're wrong. And it's unfortunate. And yeah, that's think, where they got to change it. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you a couple of things from being in the profession. I may shed some light on on why you're getting resistance. And I think you and I kind of talked a little bit on the phone about it, which is the first thing is, is getting them to do it every three months, a PTSD screening. Uh-huh. It's, it's almost impossible for them to do um, cost wise. And then also... I just think it scares the police departments about what they're going to discover. 
Um, so once a year PTSD screening might be a little bit easier of a sell, but it's not going to happen. And I'll tell you the reason why it's not going to happen because police departments are in constant fear of the fact that there aren't enough people to fill the cruisers that they have currently across the United States. Recruitment is at an all time low. Nobody wants to do this job anymore. Not for what we're getting paid and not for what the benefits, which are depleting year by year by year with uh, politicians just cutting everything out of law enforcement. So on top of the fact that they already have a recruitment issue, now we do a PTSD screening and we lose, I'll give a small figure, we lose 5% of the workload to PTSD. Now, the second part to that is, is that PTSD is not recognized as a worker's comp injury for first responders. There are a couple of states that have passed PTSD PTSD as worker's comp injuries, but the criteria to meet that PTSD compensation is so ridiculous that no one could qualify for it. You would basically have to be in an officer-involved shooting where a, a small child dies and uh, a, a pig is sacrificed in the middle of the shooting. It's so off the wall, the criteria for, because Virginia just passed one and they're celebrating, they're jumping up and down and it's the dumbest bill. Like you read it, nobody's going to qualify for that thing. And it's the reason being is, oh, it is. Not only that, you have workers' comp companies that don't want to pay workers' comp injury for PTSD. So yeah. these agencies know it. The state knows it. The federal government knows it. And the problem is, and I, and I don't get polit- political at all in my profession, but the problem is, is nobody wants to come up with a concrete bill to recognize law enforcement as uh, the PTSD law enforcement as an actual mental health crisis or or, or an injury. And it is. Right. We do it, it for our military, but we won't do it for our first responders. Uh, and it's not just police. It's dispatchers, which... They're the most they're the most underrated of everyone. Like everybody thinks that they just pick up the phone and then they just type it in the computer and they pass it on. Dispatchers suicide rate is ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous the stuff that they hear. So as far as the chief from your particular agency, he's not an anomaly. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. None of them want to turn around and do PTSD screening because it's just it would be a disaster for our profession. Because well, the thing about it is, is then you, then you have to recognize what do you do with these people if they don't pass the PTSD screening? What do you do with them? Right, right. You know, but do, if, you do you look at it? You're looking at it as the PTSD. That's the way they're looking at it. But if you look at it as just a check-in, and mm-hmm. you know, and and a check-in, you start it, and you know, you're going to get resistance regardless because change is frustrating at all ends. But you start it. And you, you know, you get it grandfathered in, you know, the older guys Mm -hmm. suck it up, buttercup, just do it. And the new guys Mm -hmm. coming in, it's going to be, and millennials talk, you get the millennials hiring on, they talk, they're open, they will have less resistance to doing it. So Mm -hmm. by the time, you know, by the time they're up in years in the, in the force, when it's really starting to hit you, they've already got that, that going. And with all the EAPs, you know, you nobody uses that and they don't want to pay for it. Well, guess what? They, they're paying for EAP. Use those sessions. Yeah. And you pick whoever you want. Use those sessions. And there could be requirements. You know, you go. You, they, you just have to know that you go. 
And if you haven't mm -hmm. gone or you haven't checked in, uh, if that counselor hasn't checked in to say, yeah, we're good, then if there's a problem or if that counselor sees a problem and they say, hey, I want to see you in two weeks. And, and then if that officer doesn't go in two weeks or, you know, whatever point of time, then those are the people you need to be concerned about because those are the people that are really struggling. And there are then they're getting help and they're getting it and they're seeing it. And I talked to um, I talked to a, a county sheriff who works in a jail uh, for a length of time, and and she was getting pissed off at me because I will post stuff about it, and I will say, "You guys need to, you know, you can open up. Let's talk." And she's like, "But we do open up. We do go out and we drink and we talk." I'm like, "No, that's not opening <laughs> up. That's not being there for each other. That's a whole bunch of alcohol and you guys busting each other's balls about the day." Yeah. You're not Choir saying, hey, this really yeah. hurts me. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and by the end of that conversation, yeah, she's like, oh, you're right. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's, I'll it's tell you, things. you know, just having discussions like this and because of the numbers uh, that Blue Help published um, about the law enforcement suicides last year, 223, yep. I think the discussions are happening and they're happening from spouses that have lost loved ones, children that have lost their parents. I don't know if you heard the aftermath episode that we had with Bree. Yes, that, and her father. that was, yeah. 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 So those are important. And those episodes for us, they're, they're powerful episodes. They get tons and tons of listens. Yeah. And you talk about millennials. Millennials are the ones that really are driving like the podcast forums, yeah. uh, the podcast platforms. And, you know, those are the ones that are really keeping their air low to the ground. And those are the ones that are not afraid to go get help. They're not, the, they're not, they're not afraid to be on antidepressants. They're not afraid right. to turn around and say, Hey, I'm struggling. But the thing is the one thing that Mike and I really drive home in this podcast is a lot of, a lot of the issues that these officers are having and the struggles that they're having is because of internal stressors, not even yeah. family stressors, they're no. internal leadership uh, stressors. And a lot of our resistance for this podcast is our com is, is command staff across uh, our profession. And they need to realize that because the hatred for police is so bad right now, what they don't need is they don't need a heavy hand in punishment and discipline. They right. need understanding. They need right. they need mentoring. They need guidance. They need leadership. And those are the things that we try and drive home, which is is um these folks in our profession need to understand that the old school way of doing things, which is suck it up and move on, or you know, you don't sign out your cruiser, you get suspended. Those days are over. Those days yeah. are over. Um, it's especially like I said, has changed. Oh, it, it is. Society is holding us up to a completely different standard now, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with as long as it's fair and equitable. But now the officers need to hold the leadership up to that same type of responsibility, which is, is OK, mm -hmm. this you're telling me that I have to act this way and I need to wear a body camera because society doesn't trust my ability to do my job. OK, what are you doing inside of police headquarters to be my safety net, to protect me, to guide me. And, uh, you know, I just, I think as a profession, we are truly struggling with good leadership. And it's not just in my age, like it's not in my agency, my state, it's across the United States. It is oh, everywhere, it is. everywhere. 
uh, the younger generation is starving for leadership, starving for it. They're sucking it up. They just want really good leadership. Um, right. And that's that millennial generation. It's that Generation right. X, which is, is I just, I'll follow you. Just tell me what I need to do and just have my back. Um, you know, and I could go on and on and on. I think it's because oh, yeah. we've had years and years and years of peace that all these commanders have come up through the ranks through peace. Now that we're in wartime, we have peace commanders. Right. We need wartime commanders. We need commanders that can help us get through this. This shit. Because the wartime of the race riots and the drug epidemic in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, all those guys are gone. They're all retired. Yep. Yep. So the ones that came up in the late 90s and 2000 and, and all that, those commanders don't know about they, they you know don't. It's scary. you know and those are the ones that grew up with hey listen i know you just saw a, a murder happen you know murder a dead body why don't you go get a cup of coffee shake it off get back out on the road and start handling calls for service yeah. those days are over <laughs> those yeah. days are over um you know but those are the issues and i'll tell you i, I mean you and i've spoken on the phone before i think what you're doing the discussion that you're having working with blue help uh, when when this comes out, there's going to be other people, other spouses and loved ones that listen to it, kind of like with Bree's episode where they're like, the light bulb goes off and they're like, yeah, Jim does that or, or Sandy does that or whatever, whatever their loved one is, they're going to go, I noticed that. I, I noticed that. So you touch on very, very good things. Um, you know, what are you doing now? Like you're working with Blue Help, I think, right? Um, yeah, I go, we, we stay in touch a little bit. Yeah. She reached out to me a little while ago and asked how things were going. And actually I'm going to go, um, we're the blue, uh, help liaison here at the department. Uh, he, they, he's one of the peer officers mm -hmm. and they do training and he asked me to go talk there. And I'm, I'm said yes, because the more I can talk and let you know, look, your family's here for you. And it's not just about, you know, um, helping others, we're here to help you and, and, and know that put faces to it that I know when you go and you're feeling this way, that if you're just done, you know, mm -hmm. you just don't want to feel anymore. But remember, you know, you have loved ones that are there for you. You have, you know, all of it and just know and let them hear it. Yeah. It's, you know, and I'm, I'm, cause I'm, I, I think the peer is a great, peer officers are great, but you're working with them, you know? So yeah. it, that's a difficult relationship, especially in some police departments, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I, have it, with, I have an issue with peer support programs to begin with, because it's the people that join those programs. The majority of them, none of the officers mm -hmm. want to talk to. Exactly. <laughs> they're, 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 they're folks. And I've had, I'm a union person. I'm union vice president. I've had officers reach out that are struggling and, I, mm -hmm. and they're like, I'm like, do you want to talk to somebody that you work with? And they're like, yeah, give me the list of people from peer support. And I read them off and they're like, I, I don't yeah. want to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. I don't want, I don't want to talk to them. And that's I, the problem. I, I think the problem is that there shouldn't be a structured peer support program. I think it should be whoever you're comfortable with. Cause I, I have friends at work that I trust to the ends of the earth that are right. not part of peer support. Right. But you got to be able to give those people time to not be answering calls for service or to come off the street and deal with the officer who's struggling. Um, so, I mean, that's, that, that can be a whole episode. All yeah. On. I would love to see retired officers 
yes. who are now out. And, you know, it's kind of like they've taken their, they've stepped away from it. So they're not so emotionally or, or, you know, hard, I guess is a good word to use and have them come in. Yeah. And we have that in my agency. We have that. Do you? We have two retired. We have a couple, but there's two retired. Um, one was a retired lieutenant. One's a retired sergeant. Hands down, when I was going through my thing, I talked to both of them. Good. See, no it, department. That And that's what it should be. That's how I see peer. I mean, they're not peers anymore, but they know. They know what you've been through. They understand, and they can help you relate where you come to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I know what you've been through. I, I can hear it, but you're not going to feel I understand as much as, you know, officer, yeah. whoever, yeah. retired officer, whoever to do it. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things out there that I think can help. And, Mm -hmm. and I always tell the chief when I'm like rambling on to him, I'm sure he's probably going to lose my number pretty soon. But when (laughs) I, (laughs) but when I'm rambling on to him, I'm like, you know, think about it. You know, you, you pay Ken administrative leave. Mm -hmm. He he got his full pay for administrative leave. Mm -hmm. You had to then have somebody come in early or stay over on their shift. So you're paying for, somebody who can't work and then you're, you've got to pay overtime for somebody who's now at working extra and exhausted, you know, just to cover shifts, you're going to save money by doing little things like that in administrative pay in um, sick leave in overtime, you know, you're going to have a better environment. But I, I think, I think police departments really struggle being the one to want to step up. And like we've said, lead. Yes. You know, they're, they're afraid of the ramification, but if, if our departments are afraid of that, that ramification, if, so, you know, something happened, we're, we're never going to see it. Everybody will follow suit, but we need to find that one the that one. will say, okay, yeah. We need, we need the one agency mm-hmm. to step up one. Yep. And, and if you're out there and you're listening to this, please reach out to me. I'd love to know who that one is. Right. And it's not just a Band-Aid. We don't need no, the Band-Aids. No. We need and to you said, peel that you said, Yeah, you said EAP before. I have yet to meet any agency that has EAP that's worth anything. Oh, I know. They're I, not. I mean, I've they're used EAP. Yeah, they're just terrible. They're, they are. A lot of them only give you for three uh, hours just upgraded to eight. But for the longest time, you were only able to have three free sessions. And at session one, they're already trying to figure out how to get you off by three. Right. Which so is sad, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, welcome to your first session. Remember, you only have three. So let's try and get this done as quickly as we can. You're like, oh, yeah, mental health is it, it's totally solvable in three sessions. So, you know, I think um, and that's workers comp. I mean, that's that's who yeah. covers the AP is workers comp. So yeah. it's dollars and cents. It's like it's like health care. You know, right. it's all dollars. It has nothing to do with your health. It has to no. do with how I can save, you know, and. And um, they're going to pay for it. Like you said, they're going to pay for it on the back end. When we're losing double the amount of officers to suicide than we are in line of duty deaths, yeah. that's a problem. That's a huge it's problem. It's scary. Yeah. And and when Ken passed away, I think he was either, it was like 129, I think he was. Okay. And I asked Karen, I'm like, why don't we see all these, why aren't they putting faces up there? And she goes, because it's really hard for people. I'm like, it's very hard. Yeah. It's hard, but we have to put the only way to really make change is to put a face to it. Because yeah. if you don't put a face to it, then it's then it's not real. I think it's, it's just a statistic. I think it's for some families it's it's that stigma of like you know um 
I don't, I don't, I don't want my, my loved one's name up on there with a picture because there's a stigma that, you know, suicide is a, is a ugly, you know, ugly thing. And it's, yeah, it's just not right. It's, it's, no. it's definitely not right. And, and as we're talking right now, we're, we're 24 days into February. Um, you know, we'll release this within the week. Um, yeah. we're 29 right now. And yeah. And that's the fourth day of February. That's yeah, crazy. It's scary. It's crazy. And you that's look at like, the numbers, you look at the numbers, 2016, 143, 2017, 168, 2018, 172, 2019, 228. Those numbers are not going down. They're going up. No, they're and going up. It's, and it's, they're rapidly going up. It's insane. It and these are the ones that are reported. These aren't even the ones that we don't know about. It's the not, ones that are reported as an accident or just passed away. Those yeah. are, those are. Yeah. Should be considered suicide. How many retirees are. aren't even founded on here? Those are the ones right. that are really at risk. Right. Uh, but I digress. I, I I mean, I enjoyed having you on. I think uh, I think your message is very, very important. Is there anything that you want to give out to the fans? Uh, any contact information or anything that you want to give as departing um, comments? Yeah, you know what? I do. I'm going to give you my cell phone number out there because I think it's important that you need to know that you do have somebody that understands. So whether it's family or or officers that are are struggling, they need to know that there's somebody there on the other side, on the other side of the badge, not, not, you know, not another officer, not a superior, but somebody that truly can be there, non-judgmental to listen to be a shoulder, to just say, Hey, um, I think that's important. And it, and I would like to see more families getting involved. And again, like you said, it's very difficult. Um, but this is how I, this is how I'm healing. This is how I'm, I'm taking Ken and honoring him because he couldn't speak for himself. Mm -hmm. He, you know, we're speaking for him now and, and in his honor, letting people know that, you know, he was a great guy. He was just broken inside. We're all broken inside. And that's actually what I told my kids. We're all broken inside. We're just all broken differently. And some people are broken more. Doesn't mean that they can't get help. It just means that we have to be, you know, aware of that. So if if ever anybody wants to talk about it or text and and not even give me your name, just say, hey, if you want to text, um, they can text me at 815-955-9970. And again, it's because it's so important to me that they know. And I've had actually a couple dispatchers reach out to me that, um, that I know. So, um, that have said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling and they've reached out. So honestly, I'm, when I, when I say that it's, it's please, I'd rather know you're reaching out to somebody than not at all. Right. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, I think we'll have you on again. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have All a good right. night. You Thanks. Too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right, fans. Thanks so much for tuning in to another great episode of the Roll Call Room. I want to remind you that uh, we are on YouTube. Go on our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at Roll Call Room. We're also on Facebook at Roll Call Room Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Uh, we're always asking for you guys to go on iTunes and rate us a five star with a comment, um, helps us climb the charts. Uh, don't forget to check out bluehelp.org. 
if you're struggling out there um, and you need somebody to talk to, we highly recommend them. Don't forget about our nonprofit, um, tagfink.com. Uh, we got some great shows coming up soon. And uh, we love hearing from you guys. So please email us at nick at rollcallroom.com or mike at rollcallroom.com. And always take care of each other, look out for each other, and check on each other. 